0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I am your host. And on today's episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Haley Moore. She hails from Boulder, Colorado, and she recently set out on her own to go tackle the Doom route in the northwestern portion of Arkansas. You're probably familiar with this route. It was created by Andrew Onorma. It's known to be challenging. And at the time Haley decided to do her ITT, only three people had ever completed the doom route. When she finished, she not only became the fourth person to ever finish the route, but she set a new FKT at the same time with a time of two days and 15 hours. Kind of the fun thing about when this is all playing out is that tonight, actually, I leave to head up to OARC, Arkansas. I'm gonna be covering the Doom route, hopefully doing some podcasting, taking some pictures, meeting some people. And uh, so this episode is very timely. If you are heading up to Gravel Doom or you're just interested in the, that event, or you wanna hear Haley's story, uh, this is a very timely episode. And I hope that everybody enjoys it. I really did. Haley is relatively new to bikepack racing. So I took this opportunity to ask her if we're gonna be seeing more of her on the race circuit. She is not confined to the bike alone. She does many other sports. And we talk about some of those too, namely climbing. I'm kind of a climbing fan. And so anytime I interview climbers, it's not uncommon that we talk about it a little bit. But uh, great conversation with Haley. I appreciate her jumping on a call literally just, I think, two or three days after finishing her ITT and new FKT on the gravel doom route. We had an awesome chat and I can't wait to share it with you. But before we get to that, why don't we take a moment to thank the people that made today's episode possible, starting with our newest batch of patrons. First up, we got Rocky, Robert H., Logan Mumma. Oh, I like that. Logan Mama, Bob Vale, and Chris V. Appreciate y'all signing up and check this out. I've already recorded next week's episode. Surprise guest. But listen, there's going to be two episodes coming out next week. One is going to have bonus content that's for patrons only. And one is going to be for free. And it's going to be to everybody. So if you want to get the bonus content, you can sign up over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. All right, well, listen, today's episode is also brought to us by my friends over at Kuat. They make the best bike racks in the world. I know, because I have one. And I'd like to tell you about a couple of the racks that I would recommend. The Sherpa 2.0 is the lightest, sexiest bike rack available, sustainable for carrying most bikes out there. When I say light, let me break it down for you. You have a beer, right? You drink it, boom, empty aluminum can it's light, right? Because it's aluminum. The Sherpa 2.0 is 98% aluminum. This means it's light and I'll drink to that. All right, beer sold separately though. You know how it goes. And the Sherpa 2.0 has a handy foot assist pivot system that allows you to gently drop the rack with a tap of the foot so that you can get your bike on the rack without lifting a finger. Now, let's talk about security. The Sherpa 2.0 has semi-integrated cable locks that will help keep your bike and your man purse safe. (laughs) The Sherpa 2.0 comes in three color options, gray-orange, pearl-white, black and silver, and it's backed by the Kuat No Worries Warranty. They've got your rack and your back. Check those out on their website, the MSRP, for only $629. All the details can be found at kuat.com. That's K-U-A-T.com. Today's episode is also brought to us by Athletic Greens. I started using them because if you've noticed, food options have become increasingly faster and less healthy. Eating healthy these days can actually be kind of challenging. It can be a little bit expensive. It can be harder to find good and healthy options. And it can be harder to get the nutrients and the veggies that your body needs. So for me, I found that Athletic Greens is a great solution to help manage a healthy diet with One delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptions to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take mine every morning in about 12 ounces of cold water, And it's a great way to start the day knowing that I gave my body something really good to get the engine going. Now, to make this easy, and we want to make it easy, if you'd like to try Athletic Greens, they are going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash bikes or death again. That is athleticgreens.com forward slash bikes or death to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate in daily nutritional insurance. All righty, folks. Thanks for hanging in here with me. Don't forget to support the people that make this show possible if you can. We appreciate it. Now listen up like i said i'm headed out to arkansas tonight I, have, I haven't started packing yet i've said this many times on the podcast before so let me wrap this one up get it out to all you fine folks so i can get up to arkansas and get in the woods but first let's have my friend miles arbor take it away with the bikes or Death theme song you load up your bike you ride away from home you could be with your friends or you
1: could be alone For a day, or maybe more You just love being in the great outdoors Everything you need is strapped to your bars, Including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus And then you think, oh shit to yourself You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf Bikes
0: You said you've never done a podcast before. Is that still true? Did you do any since the last time we chatted?
2: No, no, I haven't. This was the first one.
0: Wow, exciting. That's a good question for you. What do you listen to when you're on, whether it's a ride or like the Ozark Gravel Doom? Do you listen to anything?
2: Yeah, no, it's actually really funny that you asked that. So typically, yes, um, I do listen to a lot of podcasts you know, it kind of depends on my mood. It kind of depends on like how challenging the terrain is. Like if the terrain is like really tough, um, you know, either a lot of climbing or just kind of technical, I'll listen to a podcast that feels more just like pure entertainment. Um, but, but, you know, that's still like super enjoyable and that I, that I can still get something out of, but that just like requires like, a little bit less of my brain to like absorb it all. Like I'm not going to listen to like, you know, a news podcast while I'm like grinding up like a super steep climb Sure. (laughs) or if I I am, then I'm probably going to start feeling like kind of angsty about it and just like, you know, pause it until the top or something. Um, but especially in the mornings, I find that I have a little bit more mental energy for, you know, podcasts that might be like heavier subject matter. So, you know, typically like the news, um, I feel like I get most of my news from podcasts. Um, so I kind of have like a daily circuit of, uh, yeah, just like daily news podcasts that I try to stay up to date on. I'm not, you know, always the most diligent about it, but I try to like stay informed. Um, and then, yeah, I've got a kind of another like arena of podcasts that, uh, would fall more into that, like just total, like pleasure, entertainment bucket years being one of them. Um, Yeah. And it's, you you know, it's, it's sometimes when you are out there, it's nice to hear relatable stories from people who have done the same things. Um, and then, you know, I listen to music a lot too. Um, it's like such like a mood lifter, you know, like especially like late in the day or at night. Um, but it's funny. What kind of music?
0: Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. What kind of music? What are you into?
2: Uh, kind of across the board, but I guess I would say like, indie would be like a good you know general description of my genre I feel like whenever I get the Spotify like end of year thing you know I, I always have like freak folk as a category but I don't, like I don't even really still know what that is <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I like dip into like post-punk but like I wouldn't say I'm like super hardcore into that um but it's funny that you asked about, about Doom because um, that was one of the, the biggest challenges was that I, I sort of made this miscalculation and I didn't run um, a Dynamo hub. Um, I just decided that I would rely on a, a pretty large um, external battery to power all my stuff. And basically by the end of the first day, I realized that that was, uh, that was definitely an oversight. And so for the second and the third day, I hardly listened to anything. I think I was just saving,
0: like conserving,
2: saving phone battery. And that was, uh, yeah, when I did like, you know, gift myself like a podcast or like, you know, 20 minutes of music or something, it would be like this huge lift, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well that
0: that's a really good question actually. How how did that lack of music impact your I don't know your energy, your focus, all that stuff?
2: Yeah, um, you know, I would say well, obviously the course itself is quite challenging on doom. Um, I mean, just the amount of climbing that you're doing Uh, it's typically like a softer surface, but for me, I think what was like the biggest challenge, um, and this whole like electronics, not being able to listen to music issue kind of falls into this, but I just had a really hard time getting into like a mental, like flow state a lot of the time. Um, I think part of that is because, you know, I had never ridden there before, so you don't really know what to expect. Um, it feels to me at least like a little harder to zone out when I'm not familiar with the terrain. Cause you're just kind of like, I don't know, maybe trying to like stay alert. Um, and then, hopefully. Another, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and then once I realized that the electronics were going to be an issue, um, I was navigating, um, using the ride with GPS app on my phone because I just gave up on trying to keep my Wahoo charged. Um, so, that was just kind of stressful because I didn't want to keep the screen on all the time because that just really like sucks the juice out of your phone like super fast. So every few minutes, um, depending on where I was on the course, I would like, you know, have to turn my phone screen on, you know, recenter where I am on the app. Um, I had the audio cues on in in earbuds, but it doesn't pick up every single split, like especially on like forest service roads. Um, so I just felt like I was kind of constantly thinking about like the electronics and navigation, and then also um, on Doom, they're uh, given the location, you know, kind of um, backwoods like Arkansas. There, there are quite a lot of loose dogs on the course. Um, And, you know, in that area, it's really just like punchy up and down. But eventually you would get to the end of like a section of climbing and kind of like find yourself like on a little ridge for a while. Um, And so the houses were either up there or like down in the valleys. Um, So anytime, basically, I came on a cluster of houses, it it was sort of like, not if there was going to be a dog, but like, where's the dog? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so... Uh, in some ways I think it was good that I wasn't just like, you know, totally zoning out on like my music because then all of a sudden there'd be like this dog chasing me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, that's tough. I've been in almost, well, a very similar situation on a race. I've only done one. You might've heard on the podcast, a 500 mile race here in Texas. And, um, I was riding a dynamo, but my miscalculation was that I was riding so slow that I wasn't charging everything I needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And it became a huge mental drain at one point. This came up on the podcast not too long ago, but someone came, uh, uh, you know, past me at the, on the race and I was riding back and forth on this for, for, service road, just trying to charge my Garmin. So I knew where I was going and that was, totally. it, you know, yeah. and it, yeah. and then I was like trying to dip into gas stations and get batteries and try it. It's a it, that's a big drag whenever there's like an extra mental thing and like you said you can't get into a flow state you're just it's always eating at you. Do you think that made you go faster? Do you think it like because you couldn't like zone out or or do you do you think it had any impact at all?
2: Um I know. I've thought about that because um so at the end of the second day Um, there was actually two longer climbs at the end of the second day for me, which I really enjoyed because, um, well, one, it's a little bit more similar to Colorado. Um, but two, I was like, oh, cool. I can just like focus on this climb. And I know there's not going to be any turns like until the top. Um, but anyways, um, after those two climbs, um, I was coming down, uh, into, this little town that's like north of Clarksville. um, And there was a gas, or I don't, it was a gas station convenience store that I knew closed at nine. And because there were some kind of unexpected, like fun little ATV sections on the descent, I was like, oh man, like, I don't know if I'm going to make the the nine o'clock cutoff. But simultaneously at this point, I'm only navigating on my phone and it's at like 11%. Uh, and my in-reach tracker had also just like pinged me that it was at like 10%. So I was like, oh man, like I got to get to the store. Because like if my phone had died, you know, that would have been it. I yeah. wouldn't have been able to like divine my way, you know, because it wasn't <laughs> like a straight shot.
0: You wouldn't have just said a prayer and bikepacking um, Jesus would have showed up. <laughs> <laughs>
3: totally.
2: Um but so when I got to this store, it was nine thirty. I was like, Oh man, they're closed. But the owner was actually like coming out and he let me just like pop in and get like a snack really quick. But, um, basically, you know, I needed to charge all my stuff that night, like both of my front lights, phone tracker. Um, and I also needed to get dinner, but like, the next store was 15 miles away and it was also closed and not opening until 7. AM. Um, the town of Clarksville itself would have been like a 12 mile, like round trip detour on this road that seemed like quite busy. Um, and I wasn't very comfortable like riding it. I mean, there would like these pickups, you know, dragging like boat trailers going like 60 miles an hour. I was like, yeah. Oh, this seems I covered
0: this race when Brett set the FKT originally. Yeah. So I've, pretty familiar with the area and, and stuff. And yeah, it's those, um, once you get on the gravel roads, it's, it's amazing, right? Cause you're not going to see hardly anyone. The traffic is so light, but man, on those little tight twisty up and down country roads. Woo.
2: Yeah. They come I, know. Flying. I know. So yeah, that stuff, I ended up just staying like behind that store, um, for the night like to charge my stuff like I, if if i had needed to charge my electronics like sure i could have ridden another 15 miles that night and just woken up at the next store but because like i still would have needed to like wait for those hours um to you know like to get enough food for like the final stretch it was kind of like this weird thing where like yes it felt like the electronics were holding me back but I would have just ridden those 15 miles to the next store and then waited until 7 a.m. anyway. Um, that being said, earlier in the second day, like in the morning, I had taken, um, oh, I guess it ended up being like a five mile detour off route to this town called Pierston. Uh, it was around like mile 160 in the course. Um, to get food and also to like charge some stuff. And I definitely hung out there a little bit longer, you know, just kind of like waiting on some batteries to charge. Um, but then I guess like sort of the other side of it, you know, you asked if while I was actually riding, if I felt like it was making me go faster. Um, I definitely rode the final 35 miles, I think faster than I would have because I was afraid that my, um, that my lights were gonna die. And so so basically I started the last 35 miles of the course around, I don't know, 5 45 PM. And I was like, okay, I've got about you know two hours, two, two and a half hours, um, until it like starts getting dark. And you know, since Andrew had like thrown in a couple of like techier sections earlier in the course. Even though that section started out as like pretty smooth gravel, I was just like anticipating like, Oh, what if there's like a 10 mile stretch where I'm like walking part of it, you know? So in that way, yeah, I did ride pretty hard, um, just to cover as many miles as I could before the sun went down. Yeah. So I don't
0: know. Yeah. I mean, it it is interesting, but I mean, that is bike pack racing, isn't it? I mean, Mm -hmm, those are the things that come up and you can't always control them. And obviously if you did it again, you can learn from that and bring your dynamo. Probably let's, uh, let's back up. I did want to get to know you a little bit before we uh, got too deep into the doom. Um, so just, you know, for, for starters, where do you live and what do you do for work?
2: Yeah. I live in Boulder, Colorado, um, but I'm from North Carolina originally. Um, yeah, I've been out here about five and a half years. Um, and for work, um, I kind of do a couple different things, but my primary gig is I'm a freelance copywriter. Um, so, you know, just like brand messaging. Uh, I work a lot with Pearl Izumi on that front, um, just like managing their, their athlete blog. And then also doing like um, email copywriting, um, website copy, that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm also, um, involved in this local race here called Ned gravel, um,
0: Ned gravel. Yeah.
2: yeah so it's named after this town, uh, just West of Boulder called Nederland. Uh, yeah. So for short, Ned gravel. So, um, yeah, I like, I do their social media and, um, help out with some of their like events. So,
0: You sound like, uh, any other self-employed person, you've got to do 50 jobs, you know, if you want to have, like, I assume I'm I'm making some assumptions here that you have some flexibility in your schedule that you can leave Boulder and go to doom. And, um, you know, you have that flexibility, but with that flexibility comes, uh, at least for me, it's like, you're doing a thousand things at one time and trying to find any way to make a penny and make it work and everything. Yeah,
2: totally. That's, yeah, that's pretty yeah. accurate. <laughs> yeah.
0: Do you enjoy doing that kind of stuff or is it more the freedom that it gives you that, that you appreciate?
2: No, I do enjoy it. Um, I really enjoy writing and the thing with copywriting, especially when you find a brand whose like messaging, you actually enjoy like promoting. Um, yeah, it's kind of this nice balance between creative work but like not so creative that you feel like you have to be like super inspired every time you do it you know there's enough sort of like formulaic you know kind of like uh that you know you know what i'm saying it's it's yeah it's kind i mean the like same thing whenever t- i do
0: an interview i mean there's kind of a basic formula you know i mean yeah. once you get in the groove you kind of know yeah what's going to go next essentially or something yeah
2: yeah yeah um but I think I'll enjoy it more um, after I finish up this online school program that I've been doing. Um, I've been completing a user experience design certificate course online for, uh, I guess, almost a year. And, um, so that feels just sort of like this extra burden of like, you know, obviously I'm not getting paid to do it. Like I'm the one who's paying <laughs> and <laughs> you know, and it, and it does take up like significant time. So, um, so
0: are you the one pumping up Anton's, uh, Instagram numbers or what?
2: Oh no, he he's responsible <laughs> for that himself.
0: <laughs> Did I get his name right? Uh, Anton. Anton. Okay. Yeah, Anton. Yeah. 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 Or Tony. Um, or Tony. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, knowing you just through social media, I see you're involved in a lot of different sports, uh, endurance activities. I'm curious, uh, what all do you do? It, it seems like you're running, maybe skiing, uh, climbing, uh, scr- scrambling up boulders, <laughs> all yeah, kinds right? of stuff.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely do enjoy the variety, and I feel like, you know, even though, the, though there's a lot of challenges. So living in Boulder, um, the proximity to all these different activities is one of the things that like, I love so much about this place and that makes it feel super unique. Um, when I moved here actually five and a half years ago, I was basically only into climbing, um, bouldering specifically. Um, and then, yeah, just, you know, coming from the East coast, moving to the mountains, I got. I got more intrigued by like the longer, the longer stuff because, um, oh, I don't know. Bouldering is great. It's like about, it's about like, it's climbing and it's like most condensed form, you know, it's the movement is typically pretty hard, you know, relatively speaking. Um, and also the movement is like the most creative, but it's really limited to, you know, obviously like a smaller scale. And when I moved to Colorado, you know, I was just kind of like blown away by the mountains. Um, and you know, foot travel and the bike seemed like the best way to get out, uh, and see all that stuff.
0: So, so you just got into cycling as a matter of, uh, like the best vehicle for accessing the outdoors, going and seeing pretty things or,
2: Yeah, kind of. I mean, I guess I technically got into it through commuting. Um, You know, when I was in high school, I had like my little hybrid like commuter and I got my license during the recession. So all of a sudden, like gas was like so expensive. (laughs) Um, And I was like, well, I can't pay for that. So I just started like commuting by bike then to, you know, to friends' houses and to like my after school job and that kind of thing. Um, But it was like fully, you know, functional, just like utilitarian. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of like kind of commuted in college. Um, but then didn't even have a bike when I moved out here, but Boulder has like a really awesome network of bike pads. So I just bought like a single speed, um, from a coworker for like super cheap, started getting back into riding when I moved here. Um, because I, you know, road riding had always seemed like kind of boring and like dangerous to me. Um, (laughs) and then as a climber, um, mountain biking just seemed like too risky. You know, I had a friend who like, you know, broke her collarbone mountain biking and she was a climber and that was like her fun activity on the side. And I was like, well, you know, I'm too serious about climbing to like get injured doing one of these other things. (laughs) So Um, but then that's, that's also kind of around the time when, uh, I think the phenomenon of like gravel bikes started to become somewhat mainstream, you know, this would have been like early 2018. Um, so yeah, I bought, uh, I bought a gravel bike and, um, yeah, started doing some bike touring.
0: It's so impressive how quickly, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, you just set an amazing time on the doom. I know you did Colorado, north to south or mm-hmm. south yeah north to south um pretty pretty impressive <laughs> we pay me a picture of like what your life looks like in terms of recreating is cycling your objective and you do all these other things to like keep it interesting keep yourself fit keep your mind active like where, where are you landing right now with all the different kind of sports that you you take on
2: for sure yeah um I I think I would say that cycling is number one. Um, first of all, when I started getting more into the endurance stuff, um, I was a little bit disillusioned, like with the climbing community at that time, or like the climbing scene rather, um, in Boulder, I guess. And also just sort of like what climbing required here to like really, um, excel at it. Like, I felt like I was kind of at this, like tipping point where I was, you know, I was like pretty good, but like definitely, you know, nothing to like write home about, you know, I was like an upper end average boulderer, but I just, um, you know, in the South, in the Southeast, I, you know, I lived in North Carolina and in Tennessee, um, the concentration of climbing access areas were just so much closer to where I lived. So I didn't feel like I had to like, you know, spend the whole day driving or like, you know, whatever to really have access to that. Um, and I also, you know, I never really got into bouldering as a solitary activity. Um I a lot of people do. And, you know, really strong climbers do that and do they do it well. But uh, yeah, I never enjoy doing it solo because of sort of like the risk factor of like, you know, what if you fall and like your pad's not in the right place or whatever. Um, at the same time, I think I'm pretty introverted. And so <laughs> it would always be like exhausting for me, like going and spending, you know, more than just physically exhausting, going and like spending the day with all these people. <laughs>
0: yeah, oh, I get that. It's odd for a host, but I'm fairly introverted too. you know, I like, I mean, one-on-one conversations are good, but like groups of people, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons, you know, going on a bike ride and camping overnight is so appealing is, you know, it's so, it's just so relaxing, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I started getting into running and I love, I love running. Um, but my body doesn't love running as much as I do. <laughs> and so seems like, I always have some kind of like little, little injury, a little something going on. But yeah. And then when I found the bike, you know, it was, I basically got into more serious riding through touring. Um, you know, I had done like some like longer, you know, middle kind of distance rides, but really like shortly after I got, um, my first real bike. Yeah. Tony and I just started doing a lot of like bike touring together. And it was really cool because it was something that we could do together. Um, I loved just like the aspect of going like all day. Um, it's just like this really perfect like vehicle for being able to carry your stuff, but also like travel really far but also like, you know, with running, you're usually like working like fairly hard at it. Um, you know, if you're like running in the mountains or something. And so I feel like you can't always like really enjoy like where you are quite the same way as like the bike. Um, and so, yeah, I guess it was just kind of like that combination of things and to answer your original question about like, Oh, how do I kind of fit all these things together and balance them? Um, I ask myself that a lot,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, but you know, I feel like it kind of goes like cyclically, you know, like I'll, I'll have like a couple of goals on the bike and that, and that means that, okay, well maybe I'll just run like two days a week because it's more time efficient than riding every day, first of all. Um, but also like, just to kind of keep a little bit of that, like, you know, muscular skeletal like resiliency that like running like really seems to require. (laughs) Um, and then I don't run, so I don't know. (laughs) Well, you know, it's just like the, in the impact, I feel like there's just so much more going on when you're running. Um, and like those muscles like need more specific, like conditioning, you know, um, like I feel like if I take time off the bike, I definitely feel it, but I feel like I can, I can come back faster. Um, and then with climbing, you know, it's really just like for fun for me, like I don't have enough mental, emotional capacity to like care about, um, continuing to progress at climbing, like at this moment alongside like endurance activities. Um, it's not to say that wouldn't change, you know, down the road, or for like a specific objective, um, but right now, uh, I, I just sort of. It took a while, but I kind of had to let go of like how much I cared about, you know, feeling like I was a good climber. <laughs> uh, and now I just do it because, yeah, I enjoy it.
0: So, are you competitive? Are you competitive with yourself, with other people?
2: Um, I mean, I think I would say I'm competitive with myself more so i mean i haven't done like a ton of races you know um
0: yeah but even the way that you're talking about bouldering you're talking about it like how like per, i mean you you seemed like competitive or you cared a lot to do well at it you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. i mean where does that come from
2: (sighs) yeah i know um so with bouldering there's the it's a little bit different i think from the bike because bouldering is so much climbing is so much more technical um there's this so whenever how familiar are you with bouldering do you understand like like the problems and you send the problem and there's like the grading scale of difficulty i got all that yeah yeah yeah. okay i'm (laughs) big i
0: i'm a huge (laughs) fan of climbing i watch every single climbing documentary i can find on the netflix i'm uh you know i'm huge like you know, Tommy Caldwell or Arnold or whoever. I mean, yeah, I, I follow the sport. Um, I'm personally like kind of afraid of heights and don't want to, I don't know. I've done a little climbing, but yeah. No, I just,
2: before I got like too jargony, I want to make sure. I think Um, I can keep up. I think so. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm sure you're fine. But no, with bouldering, you know, there's this like this feeling of satisfaction, like unlike anything I've experienced that I would get when I would climb something like perfectly, um, you know, you just feel it's this really intense kind of short lived little flow state where you don't even think about like the movement. It's just like happening. Um, and it, and it's like, especially after you've thought about the movement for so long, like so many like attempts, like so many times that you feel like you rehearsed the moves, um, and so when you finally like send the problem, especially if it, you know, if it if it feels like kind of this, you know, it just feels like you're floating, like when you do it right, and I think that feeling of flow, that feeling of um, Success, you know, like that feeling of oh, I listened. This was kind of a bird walk, but I listened to this really interesting podcast uh, with Jeff Tweedy the other day, and he described. I'm gonna write
0: food. that down. I've never heard of him.
2: Uh, he's the Sorry. he's the lead singer of Wilco. The band. oh, I've
0: heard of them. Yeah, My yeah. Uh, Emily that works for me, she's a huge Wilco. I've never heard yeah. of them, but uh, I know she's going to a concert soon. Anyway,
2: yeah, but he described the feeling of flow as like a disappearing, like a disappearing from your body. And I just think that, you know, as humans, we spend so much time or I've, I spend a lot of time just like hyper aware of, you know, of myself, of like my doubts, like of my insecurities of whatever. And I think when you tap into that, like that flow state or that disappearing state, it's just like this little micro like meditation and on the bike, I experienced that the most or the times that I've experienced it have been definitely during longer rides. And it's just like this, this feeling kind of sets in where like, it literally doesn't matter what the terrain is. You could be climbing, you know, forever. And like your body will just like do it.
0: (laughs) What I, what I think I'm learning about you and what's important to tell people that maybe aren't familiar with climbing is what's really impressive about any kind of climbing. It's not when you hit flow state. Well, maybe that is, but for me, the most impressive, impressive thing is how many times a climber will try a problem. And maybe they'll come back to that problem every season, you know, once a year for many years, and they will spend a weekend or a week working one problem for the luxury of being able to do it once in a flow state. You know, like that's a really telling thing about a person. Like, yes, you are doing bouldering and yes, that one moment may be somewhat condensed, but I mean, you're coming across to me as an endurance athlete. Like that's an endurance effort. You have to be mentally motivated, inside yourself, you have to be internally motivated to keep trying. I mean, you fail and you fail and you fail, which is a great thing. The sooner you can get used to failure and then learning how to like work through that and overcome it. I mean, it's one of the most valuable things I think as humans, we can we can really learn. So it sounds like that's, I don't know, you tell me, but I guess what I was kind of getting at with all this is I'm curious how all of these different di- disciplines help you in bike pack racing or sure. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, yeah, I definitely agree. You know, I've always been, even when I was solely focused on bouldering, um, I was always attracted to, you know, long days of movement. And so with bouldering, sometimes I would just go out so funny. We're just turning this into a climbing podcast, but (laughs) 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 just sometimes I would go out and have like what I would call like a circuit day, you know, and you do a lot of problems that you've done before, but you just get like really high volume. Um, but anyway, so yeah, when I found like the bike and occasionally with running when my body allows it, um, yeah, those like really long days, um, are definitely like what I find to be the most fulfilling, but you know, I think I, I'm attracted to activities that have like a problem solving element. Um, obviously that's really prominent in climbing, but I think with bike packing, you know, obviously that that's also, um, a component and like, um, I'm definitely like kind of like a planner. <laughs> I like to be organized, you know, I like to like, know what to expect. Um, and so I think that that part of my personality also plays nicely with bikepacking, um, in that, you know, it's, uh, it's enjoyable for me to kind of like try to map out like, you know, what I'm going to need and like how far I can get. And if I don't get this far, then what's plan B. And, um, at the same time, I think that, you know, bikepacking and touring has has taught me to be like a little bit less like rigid, um, mentally and not get like bent out of shape if something doesn't go how I think it should go or how I expected it to go. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I I guess I feel like, yeah, it's the more analytical side of me like plays into bikepacking, but it's also like helped me, um, be a little more relaxed too.
0: (laughs) I had this observation, um, after doing these podcasts for a little while, there's a lot of engineers that are attracted to bikepacking and uh, it, it's pretty obvious it's it's a puzzle this is a huge puzzle it's you know your fitness your diet your mental all the logistics that you're talking about your equipment your gear the w- i mean it's everything and being able to put that all together i mean it's like anyone who likes a challenge or a puzzle i mean this is a great opportunity i mean this is a huge huge challenge or a huge puzzle. And it's exciting for people who like, I mean, I, whenever you're talking about, oh, planning my stops and planning the route and play, I mean, I get super excited. I mean, you know, I, when I'm planning a trip, whenever I'm going through the details, I'm like just as giddy as I am on the day where I'm about to go ride, you know, it's just, it's, it's fun, you know? So I think that's definitely one of the, and I do want to say that this episode isn't about climbing. This episode is about you. You (laughs) happen to climb. And uh, I think there is a lot of crossover. I, um, and it's my podcast. We can talk about whatever we want to. Perfect. Um, <laughs> Love but it. We've, we've talked about climbing a decent amount on the podcast. I think there's a lot of crossover. I mean, these, Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, we all just like getting outdoors and experiencing nature, pushing ourselves. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. We just happen to talk about bikepacking mostly here. All right. I'm ready to talk about Doom if you okay. are. Yes. All right. So I'm going to read. Um, What Andrew Onomaw put on his website as the description of Doom, a beautifully and evil bikepacking route in the South, averaging 110 feet of elevation gain and loss per mile. Riders are either buckling up for a rowdy descent or gritting their teeth for a tumultuous climb. Oh, no, a torturous climb. Sorry, the computer's kind of far away from me. The loop consists of 85% gravel, 15% pavement, with surface types ranging from hard pack gravel to unmaintained HOV trails. Creek crossings, Cuddy connectors, and a few Arkansas high country classics. This route has it all. 378 miles with a whopping 41,000 feet of elevation gain. The resupply runouts are huge, and cell phone service is mostly non-existent. Before you completed your FKT, only three people had finished this route. It's called Doom for a Reason. This is a hard route. What put it on your radar? And what made you want to, you know, pack up your car and drive 13 miles, 13 hours? I, I Googled it, it was from Boulder to ORC is 13 hours, something like that. And uh, and 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 do this event. Yeah. What what attracted you to it?
2: Yeah, totally. Um, you know, I'd been wanting to get out to Arkansas to do some riding, um, ever since I'd first heard about the high country. Um, but you know, the high country, it always kind of comes at like a bad time of year for me, like October, you know, I feel like after kind of like raging all summer, I'm usually like my body just, it just kind of stops, you know, it's like, okay, let's just pump the brakes. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I think your definition of raging is different than like a 25 year old. I'm just going (laughs) to (laughs) say,
2: yeah, yeah, probably.
0: You mean Um, raging in the outdoors on like athletic endeavors and stuff. Yes, exactly.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just for any Uh, kids
0: listening that don't know. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Just a little (laughs) translation. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, so I've been, you know, intrigued by the area ever since I heard about the high country race and then Doom came on my radar actually after Brett uh, did it back in January, which I still, after riding the route, I'm just still even more impressed than when I first heard that he had done it in January because of just the conditions, the water, you know, managing your body temperature in that weather. Um, anyways, kudos to Brett because that was crazy. But um, and I just
0: and I do want to note. Know- for my own self, because whenever I said on the, po- I, I don't know if you heard about the podcast, I announced that you would be the next guest. And I was like, I gave a little dig to Brett and I was like, and she smoked your time, buddy, <laughs> uh, all in love and love and fun. But, um, uh, it is, I should mention, and we should mention he was on a single speed and of course. yeah, the conditions were a little bit different or whatever, but, um, yeah, you, you put like 24 hours into his time, something yeah. or 22 hours, something like that.
2: Something uh, like that. Um, But no, I mean, like Brett said, he went out and did it when he was able to go do it, you know? Um, And so I think that that's like super impressive. And he was really supportive while I was out there. He like sent me some really nice messages. And uh, we actually like talked briefly on the phone when I was driving back, um, which was really nice one because, um, you know, breaking up the drive and two, he's just like a super quality human. Um, But anyways, So yeah, I heard about it, um, after his attempt and it's funny, actually, originally, um, uh, my boyfriend Tony and I had thought we might go out in early April (laughs) and ride the route in opposite directions. as like individual time trials, like on our own, which would have been kind of fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That would have been really cool.
2: Um, but we both just got like super busy, like, we had traveled like already a good bit. We had like family going on. Um, it just wasn't a good time. And then, so we kind of just like let it slide. Um, and then I'm actually signed up for the XL at unbound this year. Um, I'll be there too. Oh, nice. Thanks for the last few weeks. Um, yeah, the XL has just been kind of like weighing heavy, like on my mind. And, um, I'm, I am excited. I'm, I'm quite excited for it, but I've never done. Go ahead.
0: Uh, just, well, I think you were about to explain, um, but you know, what part of it has been weighing on your mind?
2: Yeah. Well, I think the XL is so interesting because, you know, obviously it's not, um, it's not a bikepacking race. Um, you know, nobody's on loaded bikes, you know, you're, you're not sleeping, but because it, for most people, stretches across that 24 hour mark, it feels like, you know, you really have to ride your own race in order to maintain, um, a pace that's going to feel like sustainable for you. Um, and I guess, I mean, just to put it plainly, like I'm a little worried about like getting, you know, caught up in like going out too hard, trying to stay with people and then totally blowing up. Um, that. And of course, you know, the very daunting fact that I'm going to ride my bike for like 350 miles or, you know, whatever the exact distance is this year. Um, so in this sort of like roundabout way, I felt like I needed to go out and just like have like a personal challenge that was, um, outside of like direct competition that would, well, obviously, it would serve as good training, but also would just kind of, like, get my mind right of, like, you know, okay, like, you can kind of stick something out that's, like, really tough, like, on your own. Um, and also just know that, like, I was just out there, like, for myself. Um, so. was I, Was,
0: like, learning how to you know, you mentioned pacing, what were you paying attention and like trying to say, okay, I'm out here by myself. This is my pacing. This is where I need to be. And so whenever you go into a competitive environment, you can have that to uh, kind of like fall back on. Like, remember,
2: well, Cause I mostly ride alone and you, or like I either ride with Tony or I ride alone. Like I don't okay. do a lot of group rides anyway. Um, so, so you
0: know I, your pace pretty well. <laughs> I
2: know my pace pretty well. Okay. Um, no, it was mostly just sort of like the mental, the mental side of it of like, in this weird way, it's like, I went out and did doom and, um, I was really happy with like how I did. Um, you know, I felt proud of like my effort. And so now it's like, I feel like the XL, I can just go into it with this feeling of like, it's just another long ride, you know? Um, and I do think it was a good reminder though, too, of like, I guess it just kind of like reaff- reaffirmed that going into the XL is just like, you just kind of have to like follow your own instincts. And if you feel like you can hang with like some people at the beginning, like that's great. Like maybe try to do that. But if you can't, you know, a lot can happen in 24 hours.
0: <laughs> you are so. competitive though. I can tell.
2: Well, I mean, I want, I get, <laughs> if I don't feel like I did my personal best, then I get right. hung up. I get hung up on that. Yeah. Um. I don't think it's so much about, oh, I need to be better than this person. It's like, I want to feel like I do. I'm doing like my personal best.
0: Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, I've always felt like no matter what it is in life, right? Like you have to lay your head down at your pillow every single night and you have to be accountable to yourself and feel good about what you did and and that's really the only feeling that that matters, right? At least to yeah, me. Exactly. Yeah. You just you you and and the other the other thing is like you're the only person that knows if you could have given more, you know? Yeah. And so like you have to be accountable to that afterwards too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, so
0: so Doom is obviously a challenging route. It's also fairly um, close in distance to XL, Unbound XL. W- was the the mileage kind of a, a factor in your decision too?
2: No, just because I knew that the miles in Doom would be so much slower than the XL. Um, I do think that, you know, the doom is i think the terrain is quite different from the xl like maybe the xl has like a third of the climbing that doom has um and the climbs that i've experienced in kansas are are much shorter you know just like like two minutes a minute kind of thing um and also like the surf the riding surface um at least from what i've seen on the 200 course yeah sure there's like some techier like two track sections but generally it's a little bit more like hard pack and like fast gravel. Um, whereas doom was not that way. Um, I think really it was wanting to do something that, um, I had to commit to, I mean, obviously if you drive 13 hours somewhere, (laughs) it's going to take a lot for you to bail on the route.
0: (laughs) And you went, you went alone, right? I mean, there was no media, no, no one. I mean, when you finished, I saw you just took a picture of your bike in the parking lot. Like that was it. So, well,
2: to be, to be fair, um, I, I do work with Renee Hearst, um, the tire company, And so on my way out, I called Jan and told him that I was going and that, um, it'd be cool if I wrote a story for bicycle quarterly afterwards. So for the second half of the second day, um, that photographer who shot Brett, Kai Caddy, he came, he came out onto the course, um, and found me. Um, and he spent about seven hours just like leapfrogging, you know, um, with me. Yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah, I was I was solo.
0: Can we talk about media real quick since it's been coming up?
2: Oh, uh, it's uh, <laughs> hot water here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, my only question about it was you doing an ITT and having like a photographer show up. Uh-huh. Did did that have an impact on you? Did it, did it annoy you? Did it motivate you? Was it just nice to see somebody? I mean, I think, I mean, what I'm learning, I mean, everybody has their own interaction with people. I mean, you know, and so it's kind of like Mm -hmm. an individual thing. I'm, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah. And I'm also like the media guy. I'm like when Kai was out there doing Brett, I was also on course photographing Brett. And this is something I'm very, I'm about to, I mean, this podcast is going to come out on Wednesday, the 11th, and then I'm leaving on the 12th to drive up to gravel doom and cover the event for the so, start.
2: Yeah for the, yeah. for the race. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, it was the second afternoon. Um, it was super hot. It was around like, I don't know, three or three 30 or something. And I'm just kind of like slogging up like this climb. And I had, I knew that Kai was going to like, was going to try to get some shots, but, um, we had very little contact mostly because it was like, so last minute, I was basically like, Hey, here's my tracker. Like, you know, you know where to find me.
0: <laughs> Plus no cell service. He couldn't call you yeah. if he did if he wanted I didn't, to. He be- I don't
2: think he even has my phone number. Yeah. But, um, but at the same time, you know, as, um, you know, it's part of my, uh, my contract with, uh, with Jan at Renee Hearst to submit something for BQ um you know one article a year which as a writer i'm happy to do and i'm you know excited about like telling the story um you know so i understand like why he wanted a photographer to come and like find me at least for like a handful of shots on the course um because you know like <laughs> my iphone photos like <laughs> aren't going to look super great like blown up in a print magazine <laughs> no um so anyways yeah kai he finds me as I'm just like slogging up this like 10% climb. And I only know it's him or I hope it's him because I just see this guy with like a really big lens, like sticking out the window of like (laughs) a car that's pulled over. And, um, so we had really little contact, uh, while I was riding, you know, he would just kind of drive ahead for like a ways, stop, take a photo as I passed and then go on. And at one point he said like, Oh, and I'm Kai, by the way. Um, (laughs) I was like, yeah, I was, I was hoping that you were. <laughs> <laughs> um, so good. And then when I got to um, that that store, it's called like the Red Lick Country Store, where um, I ended up stopping that night because of my electronics. Um, he hung out there maybe, I don't know, 45 minutes, just kind of trying to wait to see like what I was going to do, like if I was going to keep riding or not. Um, and so he did get some shots of me there, like reorganizing everything on my bike and cleaning my chain and stuff. But, you know, I could tell he was trying not to be like intrusive, like in the situation. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, I know there's a lot of debate about this, but, um, if people want publications like bicycle quarterly or like bike packing and like the Radivist to exist, bikes are dead. Well, you're not you're not the, as visual of a um a medium. No, as I'm they working are. on
0: it. I'm working yeah. on it. Yeah. I just got my new camera. <laughs> Check this out.
2: Oh, oh yo yeah.
0: oh, wow. Yeah, that's Look at awesome. that. I got I got a big ass lens for it too. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm just, <laughs> well, I'm I'm just
2: excited saying about my camera. that like I think that I think that the media that these outlets reflect what people seem to want you know, and that seems to be coverage of things like this. Um, so, and also I think during an ITT is different than during an actual race, but I think it's cool the way that you and Kai are just going to go shoot like the whole race, you know, versus like, you're not there for like a specific person. Um, although, I mean, I think that's, Fine too. Like, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is, I think people just need to relax a little bit.
0: (laughs) I think, I think relaxing can be good. I, I I'm, I'm on the, I don't know, uh, side of relax. I, where where I think this is all going to pan out is we're going to figure out a way for everybody to do whatever they want to, and it's going to be okay. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, I think it's really okay. I think we'll all be able to do what we want. And if you want to, you know, like what you did was really impressive. And, It's it's it is a special thing to like just have this internal commitment with yourself that I'm gonna drive 13 hours, I'm gonna do something very hard, and I mean yeah maybe a guy will like come up and like take a few pictures of you like one afternoon or whatever, but I mean you're gonna finish in the dark by yourself with no fanfare. I mean you you know there's something very um, I always say romantic, but it's like very appealing very. Cool. It's badass. It's Uh,
2: (laughs) thanks. I just think that, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to do bikepacking races that, you know, where maybe somebody's meeting me at the finish or like the XL, there's getting tons of people at the finish. And like that will be really special in its own way, too. But for me, with like the intent, like the intent of this trip was just to like test myself, you know, mentally and physically. Um, by doing this thing that I thought was going to be really hard for me. And so it, yeah, it felt appropriate that, um, that, yeah, it was like just me at the end. Um, that's to say if, if Tony had been able to come, like I would have been so psyched <laughs> to see him, oh, at the yeah. end, you know, but like, yeah, it's just, that's just how it was. So.
0: It's all good. All of it is good. I think that, yeah. you know, that's where I land. Like it's all good. Uh, no, I
2: really like what you said. It's just different. And- and i think it's i think Lael said a similar thing when she spoke on your podcast um not too long ago like yeah people can just go do what they want you know and um and however you want to do it i think is is okay
0: yeah no i think these conversations i hope are are good i i hope um yeah i my my hope is just that we learn how to With anything in life, you have to be able to talk and communicate about it. You have to understand the other side. You have to understand where they're coming from. I mean, you're in a relationship with Tony. Like, if he comes at you with a problem, you have to ask him, Okay, where is this coming from? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I see your point of view. This is where I'm coming from. And this is why I acted this way or whatever. And that's what we do to solve problems. And I I just feel like that's all we really need to do is just like talk about a little bit, figure it out. But I mean, we're talking about bikepacking. So it's, it's yeah. like, calm down,
3: <laughs> <laughs> calm down. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's move on. Uh, what were your goals going into this? Well, you've touched on some of them, obviously, with getting ready for um, Unbound X- XL, but specifically, was the time a major consideration? Were you going for the FKT?
2: Well, I just think, so yeah, in full transparency, like I think if Brett came back out, you know, now, um, in the, in similar conditions to I had, I had, I think he would go faster because, you know, first of all, in January, you have so much less daylight. Um, obviously like the temperature aspect and, you know, how, how uncomfortable it could be to be like riding as late into the night as I rode. Um, so I don't know if it's really so much as I thought that I wanted like to go after the FKT is just that I thought that the route could go faster under these conditions. Good answer. Yeah.
0: Very diplomatic and also accurate. The one thing that Brett was dealing with that you didn't have to deal with is all the water crossings and, I, I was out there whenever he's doing it. It was like 14 degrees at night. I mean, it was legit cold. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I appreciate your diplomatic answer. And that's the kind of interesting thing about ITTs, And another debate that you sometimes hear online is like, you know, ITT, FKT versus a Grand Start FKT and like all Mm -hmm. these delineations between those. But um, I mean, the course is there. The route is there. And and you made a good point. It's like Brett went when he could and you had a gap in your window and you went when you could. And yeah, like you said, the, the time wasn't... Well, actually, you were saying... It's this isn't much as like going after Brett's time. It's just like the course could be done. The course can be done
2: faster and with so that, better
0: conditions. Yeah. Of
2: course. And I mean, unless the conditions, you know, unless they get a lot of wind or rain or something like that, you know, I fully expect somebody in the race like could totally beat my time. Um, you know, I think that's like what's fun about these things is like the more repetition like a route gets. It's just really, you know, at first it just, it seems like, Oh wow. Like that was so fast. And then somebody else kind of has this like goalpost and it's always easier to push yourself when you have like a goalpost, I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that I think under the right circumstances, like maybe with my electronics, not, or, you know, with dynamo or me not, um, having a faff around with my electronics so much, like I would have really loved to get like close to 60 hours. Um, You know, and I fully expect that there are people out there capable of going like much faster than that, even um, if everything goes well. At the same time, I do think that hitting the resupplies, people will have to be very strategic with that. So, Yeah.
0: yeah, that's one of the hugest challenges is the, and it's in his description is the distance between, between resupplies. So let's talk about how, how did you train for this and how much prep did you do? You're very analytical. Like how, yeah, how much time? Oh, actually you said that y'all were even thinking about doing it back in April. So, I mean, you've had some, this has been on your mind for a while. In my mind going into this podcast, I was thinking that this was kind of like a spur of the moment thing almost uh, for you, but it it sounded like maybe not.
2: Well, when we thought we were gonna go do back in April and then we decided not to go, um, I didn't think about it for a few weeks. And then I was either planning on doing some kind of um several day tour here in Colorado. Um or, or trying to go out to Doom um, to ride that as kind of like, you know, I wanted to do something that felt pretty big, like one month out from the XL. Um and then, you know, keep up a long ride like every week for the next couple of weeks and then start to kind of like taper back. Like, you know, most people do.
0: So tell Um, us what a long ride is for you.
2: Yeah. It just kind of depends. I feel like something that's been a little bit different for me this, um, really since January. Well, um, instead of thinking about miles, I've been just thinking a little bit more about like time on the bike. Um, well, so, so I got, um, I got a, uh, hardtail, a bear claws, hardtail mountain bike, um, over Christmas. Those are nice. I, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, it's still actually set up fully rigid because supply chain stuff, whatever the fork just arrived. Like recently I've just haven't oh, cool. had, haven't had time to, uh, swap over the suspension fork. But, um, so given that I got this new bike you know, Tony and I went out to, um, to California, to the stagecoach route in February. Um, and we toured that route. I think we toured it over four or five days. I can't remember. Um, we did like 75 miles a day. Um, but it's like pretty slow riding. Hmm.
0: Um, we're in the it, picture from your Instagram. <laughs> it was very rough in that you yeah. I, maybe you highlighted the worst section, but it looked pretty yeah, rough. It was one
2: of the rougher <laughs> sections for sure. Um, but so that was kind of like okay, let's come out of the winter slump, you know, with like several days back to back. Um, and then we spent some time with, with Tony's dad in Nebraska, um, in March. Um, and the writing out there is really good, but i I find it to be like pretty tough. It's just like super punchy, like loose surfaces. So we got in like a couple long rides out there. Um, and then um we went out and did um the white rim in a day um in early April um in Moab. Um, and then we'd got in like a long ride on the Colorado Trail. So, you know, numbers-wise, like the rides themselves maybe aren't the same kind of training that somebody else would do for the XL. Um, but for me, like, it's like if the miles are like slow and hard, it's sort of just like the time is like what matters more, um, than the miles if the, if the terrain isn't equal. So.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think I should have asked that question differently. It's, it is time on the bike because I mean, if you're on a road bike, it's different than if you're on a mountain bike and yeah. doing single track. I mean, it's time on the bike. That's really the main metric. Yeah. So is that how you train for doom is just do, it sounds like you just did a bunch of cool rides. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> sounds like you're having yeah. fun and training yeah. all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, I'm actually like, <laughs> I'm not that like structured with like my training program, you know, like,
3: yeah.
2: um, yeah, I mean, I don't have a program really. I just like, (laughs) I try to do like one long ride a week. Um, and then like I was saying, I I try to kind of keep in touch with running with, you know, like maybe two runs a week and then just kind of fill in the rest with like what makes sense based on the weather based on like my schedule. Um, you know, running is like way more time efficient. So if I have like a busier week work wise, Maybe I'll run a little bit more. If I have a little bit more time, I'll get on the bike. And yeah, it's just kind of like whatever you feel like you want to do. I don't know. I I find that like, for me, having my motivation there um, is really sort of like what matters most. I mean, sure. Yeah, there are days when you're just like, oh, okay, I'm just going to like go out and do something, even though I'm not really feeling it. But yeah, I feel like I get the most out of the things that I'm the most motivated on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And mixing up has to help keep Mm -hmm. keep it interesting and fun and and not boring yeah so on on the route itself was there anything that surprised you was unexpected
2: the dogs
0: (laughs) (laughs) don't come to texas
2: (laughs) no i feel like i'm gonna scare all these racers but man there were a lot of
0: dogs but you obviously didn't get bit i didn't get close encounters
2: a couple close encounters (laughs) <laughs> it's
0: always interesting. Why don't you tell people like what you do when you encounter yeah. dogs? Because uh-huh. we're all encountering dogs and I know. Uh, I know quite a few people have fears. I was, uh, with an ex-girlfriend when she got bit by a dog. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's part of the sport. So yeah. what What's your strategy?
2: Oh, yeah. I've, I think I had like seen in some comment sections on some other, on some Texas route that, um, bikepacking had posted about dogs um, and I didn't <laughs> That's even what I said really... don't come yeah, to Texas, man. It's bad here. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: Um, and I've heard other people say, you know, this was echoed in that comment, but, um, that usually just like a volley of water from your bottle, um, like either just in their general direction or if the dog's really close to you, trying to like spray it in the face, like helps. Um, so yeah, I kind of went back and forth beforehand. I was like, Oh, I'm going to, am I going to like carry anything extra? Um, and ultimately I decided not to, um, so yeah, I mean, if a dog was coming up on me, I feel like usually you can tell how charged up a dog is when they're approaching, you know, if they're just kind of trying to let you know, like, Hey, this is my zone. Or if they're actually like, you know, seeming like they're going to be aggressive enough to like want to like, you know, cause some harm. Um, so for dogs that seemed particularly aggressive for me, just like the spray of water always worked. They would immediately just kind of get like stunned, confused and just like stop chasing me. Other times if the dog seemed a little bit more like low key like, you know, territorial, but sort of like low key. And this you know it's such a, like a squishy, like judgment. <laughs> sometimes I would just like slow down and be like, you know, like, oh, and like start talking, you know, like, hey, I'm like, not a threat dog, you know? <laughs> and that works too. Um, I think sometimes, especially because I would often pass through the zones where the houses were like right off of a descent, I'd be going like quite fast. Um, so I think sometimes it was just really just, I was just startling the dog. Um, of course, you don't always want to take that chance. of like, oh, maybe I just need to slow down, you know? And it's like, <laughs> oh, there's my ankle.
0: <laughs> well, the water is an interesting one yeah. because, uh, you know, my issue with that approach is, well, we should, you know, in Arkansas, water is not a problem. Water right. is everywhere. And so it, it doesn't matter. You can squirt as many dogs as you want. But depending on where you are, that's not always an an option if you're I wanting know. to conserve your water, but yeah, I think talking to them is a is a good way yeah. um, to find out. And I've always said, I'm like, man, if it's too bad, just stop, you know, because they're chasing you. So if you stop chasing, I put my bike, in, you know, in between me and the dog, and I'll just walk. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I haven't had to do that too often, but I, anytime I get off my bike, it just de escalates the situation immediately.
2: Yeah, that's another one I had heard. And it it never got to the point where I felt like I needed to do that. Um, but yeah, sometimes I would just really slow roll, you know, through an area and that and that seemed to help. So um there you go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Tips for the high country from Haley Moore. Um uh, for it- for Doom. Oh for doom. Yes, thank you. Oh yeah. man. <laughs> you know it's funny having a podcast because um you know I have to edit myself and I realize how many things that I say that are wrong and mm. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I say things wrong all the like I'll just switch up words or whatever
2: Uh, yeah yeah i probably won't even listen to this because i i won't (laughs) want to hear my response i don't
0: don't blame you it's torture it is torture i don't i do i do not like my own podcast let's be very clear like no you did a good job well i do appreciate it and um yeah i'm here because people do listen and and that and that's super cool but I'm like anybody else. I don't want to hear myself talk. I don't want to hear myself stumble through ideas or what, you know, it's like you want to just know exactly what you're going to say and say it right. And, but you listen to yourself. You're like, yeah, I said that, but I forgot to say this and I didn't add that context. And anyway, we're all very self-critical and I'm, I'm no different. So let's, uh, where are we? Hold on. Let me get on my list. Okay. Here's a good question. I'm going to give credit to this person. Because they had some good questions and I think they should get credit because I'm about to use some of them. Where is that darn email? (laughs) Gosh, dang it. Hold on. Oh, Tatiana. Tatiana Rogowski. 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 Tatiana Rogowski. Do you know her? I don't think so. Okay. Well, she's a big fan of yours. And uh, shout out Tatiana. And thank you for... uh, Sending in some questions. Um, she like she heard you were going to come on the podcast from my last podcast, and she just reached out because sometimes I'll put on social media oh and gosh. ask for questions. Oh, but well, yeah, that's, she yeah. Is so, so she nice. had it is, Yeah, yeah. It is nice. Um, so one of her questions was, and I thought it was a really good one. Uh, you finished to an empty parking lot at whenever. What time did you finish? By the way,
2: I finished just before ten p.m.
0: Okay. So 10 p.m. You're in OARC Arkansas at Oark General Store in the middle of nowhere, and well, I, I don't even know if you have cell phone service. But her question is, who do you call? Who's the first person you call, and why?
2: Oh well, I called Tony. Um, so the store has uh, free Wi-Fi or has yeah, that's what op- I thought. open yeah. Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then I called my mom after Tony because <laughs> she had texted me and was like, I don't, she's on the East Coast. And she was like, I don't care what time it is when you finish, you know, just give me a call. And um, so yeah, the two people I feel like who are who are most in my corner, that's who I called.
0: So when you called Tony, what was that like? Were you like, God, I'm glad this is over. Were you tears of happiness? What was that conversation like?
2: It's weird. It's like, <sighs> Well, okay, so actually, right when I finished the route, uh, I had just taken a photo of my, you know, my dead bike picture in front of the sign, um, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> That's, what That's the so bikes good. look like when they're laying on the ground, dead bike. Um, and <sighs> there was like kind of this anticlimactic moment where I had just picked my bike back up and actually where you park your car for doom is just, you know the equivalent of a block down the road like in this field um so it's out of the way and andrew's gotten um you know clearance from whoever the property owner is to like leave cars there which is great but um man this pickup truck of these two guys like rolled up right as i had finished and you know the guy like rolls down the window and oh he was just like you know hey lady doing some motorcycling or whatever and i was just like i'm actually wrapping it up for the day you know thankfully (laughs) um yeah and you know he was just like well better be careful out here and i was like cool dude have a good night you know and like it was kind of enough of a reminder that like, yeah, I am in the middle of nowhere. And um, I mean, to be, to be fully transparent, I had had so many positive interactions with people um, along the route, like in Jasper and um, at all the other stores that I stopped at, like in general, very warm um, reactions from people. And, you know, this reaction could have happened if I had been finishing a ride here in Colorado too, but it was enough of a reminder that like, yeah, I am alone. And like, nobody is here. And also, um, I find usually after long efforts like that, when you're really low, like calorically, um, I'll get cold, like really fast, like, you know, shivering, like really fast. Um, so it was kind of like this, like snap back to reality of like, okay, go get the car, change clothes, put on a jacket. My phone was also almost dead. So, um, that there's like a little covered picnic area right next to the store, um, where I like immediately plugged in my phone. Um, and so it wasn't really until after I had done those like handful of things, I, I moved my car like back over to the, where the store is so that I could charge my phone for a few minutes. Um, it wasn't until after I had kind of taken care of those like necessities that I like called anybody. Um, and then when I called Tony, yeah, it was just, <laughs> he, he was so supportive, you know, like he had been texting me like on the final climb, even though I wasn't getting the text. <laughs> um, you know, and he's, he is just being really sweet and congratulatory. And, um, uh, I was kind of wanting to give like the play by play, but I also felt this urgency to like pack my bike up and just kind of like move along. Um there's a really great campground called the Bird Adventure Center, about 10 or 12 miles, 10, 10 miles maybe away. Um, and I had stayed there the night before I started. So I knew that I was going to go take a shower there um afterwards as well. So yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of different when you finish alone because you know you can't just kind of like fall into the car and like somebody's gonna like handle like handle you or like take right. care of you you know yeah. like i i was still a little bit like in go mode um until i got to the campground and got a shower and like crawled in the back of the car <laughs>
0: yeah that makes yeah. a lot of sense especially knowing that there's a couple dudes rolling around in a truck that know you're in the parking lot by yourself at 10 11 o'clock at night in the middle yeah. of nowhere like yeah. it's just she's like i i mean Listen, I, I, when I, when I've been approached, um, I was like two o'clock in the morning at at a church looking for water and some drunk redneck rolls up in his truck and shines his light on me. And he's like, what are you doing here? You know? And I was like, you have to explain what you're doing, you know, to a drunk redneck at two (laughs) o'clock in the morning. It's, it's not a comfortable feeling for anybody. I, I've never been a woman. I would imagine it's less comforting if you're a woman.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've never been a man, so I can only <laughs> you know I can only say it was uncomfortable for me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean that that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that um l- let me ask you this question. I think it's an important one. Um I always like to get women's perspectives because I'm not one. How do you manage maybe you don't have fears, but like, how do you manage your fears and anxieties about solo travel as a woman? How do you, how do you manage these encounters to feel as safe as you can?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, um, I definitely do, you know, think about things like the fact that I'm a woman, um, unfortunately, you know, sort of means that you do have to, just be a little bit more mindful. Um, it's weird. Like I've, I've had this thought before where it's so interesting that like when I'm riding totally alone, um, you know, and, and to to clarify, I've never really ridden anywhere that's like grizzly country. So that would be an exception to like feeling afraid when I'm alone and, you know, mountain lions here in Colorado is just sort of like, well, I don't think that like, I could be attacked by a mountain lion when I'm running, you know, it's like, not really going to be very different on the bike. It's just sort of like a freak thing that if it were to happen, it was going to happen. Um, But
0: it's, it's people that are the scariest. I
2: know. And 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 it is people. It's
0: not nature. Yeah. It's not nature.
2: Um, It's such a shame that that is what feels the most insecure. You know, I do ride with an in reach. um, So there's always that, you know, like going into doom, it did give me peace of mind that I knew that like, At least Andrew was like in the area and like had my link, you know. But I think the other part of it though is like I have done a lot of writing where, you know, I think this was like the first time that any kind of unsettling, I'd had any kind of unsettling interaction. So I think I try to remember like that balance of like the scales, you know, where it's like most people, I think, a either don't care at all what I'm doing, <laughs> or B you know want to talk to me about it. So yeah, I think it's just kind of trying to like remind yourself of all the times that like nothing has happened. Um, and but at the same time, you know like you know at night like obviously I take a little bit more precaution. Uh, I mean obviously things could happen during the day, but I think at night you know you just assume if somebody's out late or like whatever, um, you, you kind of like question their motives. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and so I will try to like be less seen, um, at night, you know, like always, I always try to sleep where, you know, I make sure nobody is like, knows, can see where I'm sleeping. Or like if, um, a car comes by and I'm kind of like getting myself sorted to sleep, I'll like turn my headlamp off you know, until they're gone, that kind of thing. So like, just like being like aware, I think goes a long way. Right. Yeah.
0: I just wanted to echo what you said, because I have, um, you know, over the years been able to talk to a lot of women who've done solo self supported, whether it's bike touring or racing or riding, whatever. Um, and I have asked this question a lot, um, because I know that it's a fear, uh, on a lot of in particular to women, this is a fear that they have and a barrier to entry for, you know, solo expeditions. And what I've heard over and over again is that those negative interactions are, are pretty rare. I've never heard of like a really bad one. Um, I've heard of some kind of like, ooh, that was kind of creepy. Maybe that didn't rub me the right way. But, you know, I, I, I think that's a good perspective of have. habit. And and while you were talking, it reminded me of like my own relationship with riding a bike and cars and the knowledge that I could get hit by a car. I'm, I'm on the losing end of that every single time, or there's a mountain lion or there's whatever. Right. And all those things are options, but you know, you have to like put it in perspective and be like, okay, but I've also, I'm 42 years old. None of those things have ever happened. Right,
2: right. And also like, I don't know, know, I want to live my life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I... Yeah, don't be bound by your fears. yeah,
2: Yeah, and like, I think, or I hope that, you know, some of the people that I did cross paths with when I was riding in this area had the, had kind of the opposite reaction maybe. And they're like, Oh, like, this is cool. Like, you know, and I just feel like small interactions like that are often what's needed. Like, like personal interactions are what's needed to kind of like shift perspectives, not like, you know, these really abstract things that you hear about, like far away or like in the news or like whatever, it's the stuff that happens to you like close to home.
0: Thank you for saying that. That's been a fun thing for me. I host a race called the East Texas Showdown. Right, right. And yeah, and this year we had people from all over. Last year we had people from all over. And every single, you know, person from out of state almost talked about how their perception of what they were walking into and the reality of what they were walking into was so far separated, you know? And, and it, it was nice. It's like nice. It's like, you know, te- I know, I mean, listen, I know Texas has a shit. I, I've lived here my whole life. But, I mean, it's not all bad, you know, and it's, it's nice for people to come here and be like, oh, my gosh, everybody was so friendly. The cars got out of the way, blah, blah, blah you know, and like I wasn't expecting that, you know, and it, and you're right. Like you can't, we need those like personal interactions. They are the most impactful Um So I couldn't agree more. And I thank you for saying that. Yeah. I have a question from Andrew Onerma. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I had to give him a chance uh, to weigh in here. His only question, actually he wanted to know about the multiple uh, disciplines and how that impacted, but that was already on my list. Um, But he wants to know about how the technical sections on the North to South Colorado race slash ride whatever um are similar or different to gravel doom
2: yeah i know i thought about and that.
0: the only and he's asking for self selfish reasons because he signed up and he's only looking <laughs> for beta yeah yeah yeah, so. yeah,
2: yeah 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 no so in general i think there are definitely more fast miles on north south and you know, it's kind of like with Doom. There was kind of this, um, oh, like this, like minimum, like with the terrain. Like the terrain was kind of, or this, like threshold with the terrain. Like the terrain was like basically always like kind of slow, and then there would just be because, like the the surfaces. I think maybe because there have been some recent moisture. Um, the surfaces were like fairly soft and then there would be, you know, small to like kind of ball bearing, like golf ball size, like gravel on like some sections of the course. So especially when you're climbing, you just feel like you're working way harder to gain traction than, um, if you're just climbing like hard packed gravel, which I think most more of Colorado is like that. Um, also, I felt like the technical sections in Doom, um, they're a little bit more just like kind of sprinkled throughout the course. Like, sure, there would be, there was a handful of sections that would like last for like several miles if you're on like an OHV trail or something like that. But generally, they were a little bit more um, kind of sporadic and like shorter lived, but maybe more frequent. Um, whereas in North South, you can kind of, you can kind of outline where the technical sections are. I mean, there have been a couple of changes to the course, um, this year. Um, but you know, there's this one, um, iconic pass that you go over called Rollins pass that goes up to like 11 K. Um, and then when you descend on the other side, oh my gosh, it's like, you want like a mountain bike, you know, it's like super loose, big rocks, like Jeep road, you know. Um, but once you're done with it, like that's like the technical section, you're back to like fast gravel. Um, so I would say in general, North South has a lot more fast, has a lot more fast miles. And maybe there's more disparity between what's technical and like, what's not technical. Um, I do know though, that this year the race director Mark has added in like a 10 mile section of single track, which is, it's a really cool section of single track. I've ridden it a few times. Um, and it's like, it's like easy mountain biking terrain, you know? So I'm like a loaded gravel bike. Like you'll be fine. I think aside from the first like steep punch to sort of like gain the ridge that the trail follows, I don't even think you have to hike any of it really. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that's the best way to say it is that there's um, a clear delineation in north south between like, oh, this is like kind of techie, um, and then like going back to like kind of like the fast stuff.
0: All right, Andrew, I hope that was the answer you were hoping for. <laughs> you
2: can it pays it to up. know
0: the podcast host.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can get personal questions yeah. on there. Yeah. All right, Haley. So, like I said, this episode is going to come out on Wednesday. The next day, um, we got 40-something people that are going to be taking on the Doom route that you just set a new FKT on, and I think there might be a couple of them that might listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. I hope that they do what what is and maybe you don't want to actually now that i'm like asking this question i realize you might not want to give advice to people who may be trying to take away your fkt but i also have the feeling that you don't care yeah Yeah. (laughs)
2: like if somebody's faster than me like you know i don't feel like my advice is going to be the deal breaker and at the same time though like the whole point of doing these things is to like share the experience um I mean, there was some decisions I made going into the course, going into the ride that I would not have made if, you know, folks like Andrew and Dylan Morton, um, hadn't been willing to like give me insights into the course. Um, so yeah, I, I think that paying it forward is like, is the only
0: way. I think so. What, what is your advice? What are your takeaways from the doom route that you think, this may be a good way to answer it. What would you do differently? How would you approach it differently? You know, I don't know.
2: Well, I hope everybody's running a dynamo hub, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> That's number one. Um, otherwise though, no, I was pretty happy with what I did strategically. I mean, I would say that, um, yeah, so I don't, I don't know if we touched on this, but I actually on the way out there, like when I got to Bentonville, I picked up a different pair of pedals um, at a bike shop, shout out Joe's bike shop. Um, I got, you know, like the like platform on one side, clipless on the other. Um, and I picked up a pair of sandals because I was worried about the Creek crossings. Um, and so my, fi- yeah, Dylan had told me that, um, he thought that in some sections there might be like multiple crossings in quick succession. So I was like, okay. And it's, you know, it's such a hassle to like change shoes, especially cause my bike shoes are lace up. Um, so I was like, well, if I have, you know, the option to ride platform p- pedals, I can just f- put on sandals w- when it seems appropriate and then just like ride for a while and like let my feet dry naturally. And like, also maybe if I cross any more creeks, like in the next like 10 minutes or something, it'll, I'll just, I'll have a better idea of when is an appropriate time to like change back into, um, my regular riding shoes. And I'm really glad that
0: you kind of time it when you were going to like take a break anyway, maybe, you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to stop for five minutes and sweat shoes and do whatever you need. Yeah,
2: exactly. Or it's like, okay, I've been riding for like 15 minutes. My feet are dry. I haven't found another Creek. So like, Yeah, go ahead and change shoes. Um, So that was...
0: Did you, did you I'd have to ask, I'm sorry, but did you ever like put your shoes back on and then immediately after, you know, soon after there was a a creek crossing?
2: (laughs) One morning that happened and then I would just try to like, I was like, ah, screw this. Like I'll just walk through barefoot. But then like the rocks were like really slippery on the bottom. So I was just like, oh, maybe the sandals would have been worth it. But, (laughs) um, But yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of tedium in that way. But otherwise, I would just say, you know, related to that, like folks should definitely try to keep their feet dry. Um, And then also just like know what the hours are on the resupplies. Um, And then, you know, so when you get to one and you're like, okay, it took me this long to cover this many miles and the next place is this many miles away. Like, am I going to make it? or should I kind of like double up here so that I don't get stuck having to wait for this place to open? Um,
0: yeah. Really prioritize and be thoughtful about every resupply point, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's- you know, you got to know how far you're going to go and how long it's going to take you. Yep. And would you err on the side of maybe carrying a little bit more food than, than normal? Uh-
2: I definitely started with a lot of food (laughs) because, um, I wasn't sure, like I just had, I didn't want to go in with any assumptions, you know, I ended up making it to Jasper, like, you know, before 5.00 PM, which was awesome because then I just like ate dinner there. Um, but I didn't want to assume that like that, excuse me, that that would be a possibility. Um, so I started with a lot of food which is fine. I mean, it's just like, I don't think it weighed that much more. Um, (laughs) um, but yeah, I guess I would probably err on the side of caring a little more than I typically do just because the miles, um, they were slower than, um, I don't know what you want to call your average riding because that doesn't mean anything, but, (laughs) Uh, They're slow, they're they're, slow, they're they're slow, hard miles. Yeah. So the last thing you want to do is like run out of food. So.
0: Yeah. I'm curious to hear you being literally only one of four people on planet earth that have completed this route. What are your overall impressions? What are your takeaways?
2: Yeah, it's a cool route. Um, definitely a burly one. Um, my favorite sections were I really enjoyed the section of riding to get to Jasper. Um it's actually one of the wetter sections on the route, but anytime you're just by the water there it was like I thought it was like really cool. Um it's a really lush route. Um and the terrain the terrain was definitely more engaging than than I expected it to be um, and you know there is a lot of uh, up and down up and down like through the trees but then you kind of have some more like distinct sections later on in the route like i think the furthest eastern boundary you go through this area um along richland creek and that kind of felt like its own zone um and then like further south this section um around white rock which was like this really big climb um kind of felt like its own section so it there was some repetition in like the terrain but also like these like distinct chapters um that made it cool
0: that's actually a really good description description because it can uh, i don't want to use the word mundane but uh yeah, there. It's like a. I mean, it's just kind of the same thing. It's like up and down, up and down, lots and lots of trees and river crossings. Like there's a lot of that. Yep. But then it's broken up into some more distinct and more defining um, things that I guess probably make it interesting, mm-hmm. a little more fun. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, a little more engaging. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. What other uh, events after Unbound XL are on? your radar if all are you thinking that far ahead?
2: You know, I really haven't. <laughs> part of it
0: <laughs> That's okay. part of
2: it is um I should be finishing up this online school program that I've been doing like um in the next few weeks. So, I kind of wanted to give myself like a little bit of like a mental break after that and just to kind of do whatever I felt like doing. <laughs> um I might do north south again. I haven't decided yet. Um Uh, There you go,
0: Andrew. Maybe you can race her.
2: (laughs) Um, my, I have a really good friend here in Boulder. Um, she and I have been, she's a big runner. So she and I have been kind of scheming some like mountain objectives together this summer. Um, she's in the process of completing her PhD program at CU Boulder and, uh, Oh, I'm really afraid she's going to move away. So we kind of wanted to like, you know, do some fun stuff together in the mountains this summer. Um, yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, there's so much to do here in Colorado. Um, in the summertime, it's it's like my absolute favorite time to be here. So I typically don't like to get too far from home in the summer.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you got a good you got a good spot an, there. As long as being in Texas yeah. here, I might actually. This is a perfect segue because <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you. Um, I mean, for the listening audience, I had, I had uh, contacted Tony about um, coming up to Colorado this summer and meeting him. There's a couple other people that I'd like to snag some interviews with when I'm, when I'm in town. Um, so hopefully you and I, we get a chance to meet. Hopefully, uh, we can make that happen this summer, but let's say I come up this summer. Where, where do we go? Where, uh, like if we go do like a, an overnight or on Mm -hmm. a bike ride, where do you go? Where, where's the, where's the Uh, spot you take me?
2: I really love Salida. Um, yeah. Salida so is a great town. And um right out of town, you can hop on um the the divide route and Marshall Pass is like it's one of my favorite passes in the state. Maybe because the first time I rode it was like during Aspen season. So like, you know, it was just like golden. So I have really special memories for Marshall Pass. Um, but I think Salida or Buena Vista would both be like great like staging areas. Yeah.
0: All okay. right. Yep. How far away is that from Boulder?
2: Um Salida. Oh, how far is Salida? Um, so funny. I feel like I usually get there by bike instead of driving. <laughs> <I> <laughs> well, think that's it's good. Like, that's like a good like answer. Two, like two hours, maybe. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's a good answer. Yeah. Why? I I hope uh, we can make that happen. I need to uh, probably start planning something. Un- I, I do like to plan, but my life is too hectic and crazy to I'm just like I, I said this recently on one podcast like it's like whack-a-mole I just feel like you know things just keep piling up and I'm like I'm not really getting ahead I'm just like yes, doing this all yes. the time you know <laughs> um, and so it's like oh shit I yeah I gotta go do this I gotta go do that and it, it'll get better it'll get better yeah but for yeah. sure um, I, I am looking forward to hopefully making that happen and um, I really really enjoyed Talking to you. Um, I, I enjoy getting to know you. And I know you've like downplayed your FKT a little bit, but um I was really excited by it and I was really happy for you. And I thought it was yeah, I just thought it was badass. Aww. You know, I mean, I know how hard that route is, I know how tough it is, I know the conditions, I mean, I know the roads. Um doing what you did was was a real strong effort and uh i will congratulate you (laughs) on on a a job well done and i I was over the moon for you and i'm really happy that you agreed to come on and uh and and share some of your time with me well
2: thanks so much patrick and yeah and i really enjoyed this too um yeah i really appreciate you inviting me on so
0: are you happy with your fkt yes
2: yes i i i'm happy with my ride yeah yeah yeah
0: Good, good What are your, I I actually had one other question that I kind of forgot about earlier. And so before I wrap it up, what motivates you to enter a race or, you know, because from talking to you, I've learned the, you know, you like to tour, you like to go do this, you got to, do that, you like to lay back stuff and just enjoying nature, but seems like every once in a while you're like, I gotta, I gotta chase that whatever or something, you know, like what, what, what's going on there?
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I do. I really love bike touring. Um, you know, especially with Tony, it's just such a nice way just to like, kind of check out and like feel really present. Um, but you know, a hard effort, oh, it's just kind of this like punctuating experience. Um, and it forces you to be present in a different way than touring because, um, you really don't have like the capacity. I mean, to be fair, I've only done two bikepacking races, by the way, like, <laughs> <laughs> just to put that out there. Uh, so I'm not like some great expert, but, um, in my experience, any hard effort, whether it's the unbound like 200 or, um, for me, the North South or the ITT on doom. Um, if you're really going for it, you know, you don't really have the capacity to like think about anything else. And in a weird way, like that is kind of like meditative in itself. Um, but also I think it's, it's really rewarding to like, to just go out and like give something, you know, kind of everything that you've got. Um, like, and I know that not everybody is motivated to do that. And I think that's totally fine, but whatever it is for me, um, just really pushing myself, it just feels like this crazy, like growth, like experience that nothing else really comes close to. Um, and in some ways, like I mean, obviously you're, you're the same person afterwards, but you feel like you've had more, more change in whatever that finite amount of time is than like the last year of your life. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um,
2: And it just, it also forces you to confront some things like about yourself. Like for me, I find if my motivation isn't pure, I guess, for like lack of better word, or if if I'm not like intrinsically motivated, I will have a much harder time like mentally with something. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think like the, the personal challenge and like growth element that you get out of it, um, And also just like the whole, and it sounds cliche, but like, you know, taking on like the unknown is a very rewarding thing when you come out the other side and, um, everything went okay. You know, it's like a very like self-empowering feeling.
0: Uh, a thousand percent solo self-supported. You did it yourself. You know, you tackled all those challenges, all those hurdles, and, and you did it, yeah. you know? And if you don't do it, you fail, then you learn something, you come back and you do it yeah. again, you know? Very and funny. that's part of the process too. Yeah. And that, that's totally fine. My, my curiosity is you've only done two races and that's kind of what I think I was kind of wanting to get at is like, is this the sign of more Haley to come <laughs> on the bikepacking racing circuit? <laughs> do you, Do you see yourself like leaning more into these bigger efforts these these races, or are you just kind of like winging it and you'll go by whatever you feel like doing um
2: i mean I definitely like i enjoy the sport um for sure um I guess I'm just always really careful about like you know, like some people, I don't know how they race so much every year. And I don't know if it's just like, Oh, it gets easier, like mentally or like whatever, but I'm always just a little bit worried about, um, burning myself out. Um, so I guess that's kind of another part of it is like kind of always wanting to like check that motivation. And it's like, Oh, do I, do I really feel inspired to do this? Or do I just feel like there's a lot of hype around this thing? And so like, I should go do it. And, um, I mean, the hype's not a bad thing, you know, it's like how people get excited about stuff, but, um, yeah, I definitely see myself doing like more events. Um, but I don't know what that looks like in the immediate future.
0: Yeah. So you're not, you're not looking to take down layle anytime soon. Oh
2: my gosh. I'm not looking to take <laughs> down anybody. <laughs>
0: That's good. (laughs) Good answer. Good answer. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I don't know, man, this sport is so, um, it is selfish, you know, and I think that's okay. I, whenever I did my East Texas showdown, I, I said like, you know, in our lives, like there are times where we need to be, you know, giving to your partner, you need to be like focused on work and you need to like focus on your kids or whatever, but you also need and deserve the time to focus on yourself and to do something selfish. And and that's kind of where bikepacking comes in because you, you're you not doing it on a team. You're not supposed to have any support. This is about you having internal struggles, internal dialogue with yourself, being alone, and and, and, and then finding out, like answering that question. What can I do? What am I capable of doing? And as I've talked to you, what I hear is that that's the most thing you're looking to like answer is like, you're just out there, like on a personal journey, you're doing what feels right, you're seeking out the things that make sense to you. And that's what you do. And and as personal, it's a selfish thing. And I think it's okay, that that's a part of your life that can be that, you know, and I think it's good, personally, as a bike packing podcast host.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's basically how I'd sum it up too. So,
0: righty. I'm gonna go be a dad.
2: Awesome.
0: All right, tell Tony I said hi. Will do. Even though I don't know him, <laughs> but I'm trying to suck up so I have a good interview.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think you're in. <laughs> yes.
0: All right. Bye. Okay, have a good have night. Have a good night. Bye. All right, folks, thank you for being here. Thank you to Haley for coming on today's episode. And again, congratulations. I'm making it short and sweet. Got to get out the door. So y'all take it easy out there. Don't forget to support our sponsors, Athletic Greens and or KUAT. And if you'd like to support directly, you can sign up over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. Love you lots. Now go ride your damn bike.
1: It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination? Or merely folklore Fear turned into strength As you push further Every pedal stroke Stronger and firmer Your bike feels weightless Your legs aren't tired You think to yourself Just a few more miles Bikes oh, death Bikes oh, death